this is a really unique place that I'm in right now on a video yeah. game podcast, even telling my friends and family, they're like, <laughs> yeah. you, why you? <laughs> <laughs> but um, video games, it's huge. It's everywhere. Games are important because that's just part of human life. We grow, even when we go to school and play recess, like we're playing, playing and interacting and playing out different roles, different boundaries, different rules, different goals, like all of that's super important. Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss one of the games that made them and changed them, and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. So pull up an armchair, feel free to lie down on the couch, and let's talk about our feelings. Spencer, today we need to start with some housekeeping. First, okay. Housekeeping. <laughs> when you say housekeeping, uh, the first thing I think of is Dusa from Hades with her little <laughs> um, feather duster. Yes, um, yes. So <laughs> just imagine I'm Dusa yeah. and the feather duster is all of the shit we need to say to <laughs> our, our audience. Uh, so first, we wanted to start with a big thank you to everyone who came through on our request to share a pic of you listening to the podcast yeah. and tagging us on social media. Oh my gosh, it was so nice to see everyone doing that. And just really great to like actually get to see some of the people who are listening to us you know mm-hmm. we just talk into these microphones and it goes out into the interwebs so lonely. and it was <laughs> it is a little lonely so it was really nice to uh, see people responding to that and actually get to see some of our audience uh thank you so much for doing it to those of you who did and uh we'd love to continue to see it so yeah if you're if you're listening to the podcast uh you want to send us a screenshot and say hi uh we would love to say hi back and uh and it just helps us uh see our community and continue to build community which is one of the main reasons we started this podcast mm-hmm. uh, second we've been saying y'all could email us uh since day one and we're so excited to share that someone took us up on that offer uh and sent us this awesome email uh that spencer's gonna read to you right now spencer yeah. do you want to read this email um i would love to read it from our I'm our only fan. <laughs> Just kidding. But like, it's so, yeah, it was, it was really exciting to receive an email. Um, okay. So the subject line is assigned gamer at birth. And this is from Nate G. Um, it says, hello, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I am so <laughs> excited to be writing into you. First of all, Y'all are going to be big and you don't even know it. Oh my God. That's Aww. so sweet. <laughs> okay. But maybe I know it, you know, I know it. Yeah. I mean, you got to manifest, manifest. <laughs> um, finding your podcast has been so interesting after falling out of the habit of gaming for several years. The gaming landscape has exploded in the years I was gone. I played video games regularly as a kid slash teenager, and this podcast is such an accessible way back in, now that I'm interested in rekindling the hobby again. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, what? I want to know what he's playing. Okay. Also, <laughs> that it's discussing gender and mental health and just dissects these brilliantly intersectional topics these games are addressing, like... Ugh! Exclamation point. <laughs> I think that's a good ugh, right? A good ugh. Ugh! Ugh! Yeah. 
Games are works of art that can have hundreds of people involved in their creation. True. And I feel like your show gives them the full analysis and critique that they deserve. Aw. I wanted to write in with a small story about something I experienced at work the other day. Oh my god, so that was just a gassing us up paragraph. Like, thank you. Wow. Okay, now we're getting... I'm blushing. <laughs> like, like, email... Oh my gosh, okay, there's more. I wanted to write in with a small story about something I experienced at work the other day. I mentioned in passing that I learned the NATO alphabet from playing Call of Duty. One of my coworkers responded with something along the lines of, and I quote, Oh, I would have never known that you were a gamer. (gasps) Okay. I just found the comment interesting. I'm a trans guy, and they're all aware of that. Parentheses. I'm the only one at work with my pronouns on Zoom, LOL. (laughs) Oh my god, it's (laughs) such a trans mood. It's like, oh my god, we're inclusive. Like, everyone put your pronouns in your your bios, and it's like just the trans people who do. I'm like, oh great, we just outed ourselves for you. Amazing. Okay, anyway. Uh... I just found the comment interesting. I'm a trans guy and they're all aware of that. But I wonder if the assumption comes from a deeper place or not. My bias Mm -hmm. assumption is that everyone probably grew up playing video games. So I wonder whether or not others either don't have the same assumption or assume differently because of my identity or because I don't seem quote unquote butch. Or rather, mm-hmm. assume that there are certain types of games I would and wouldn't play, COD not being one of them. Mm-hmm. Though, if I'm being honest, I'm dying to play Dream Daddy. Ah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Um, love you and thanks for being here. Nate, um, pronouns he, they. Oh my god. Aww. Okay. Thank you, Nate. Yeah, thank you. Um, wow. Yeah, so I think it's interesting, like, um, oh, first, did you have did you have any thoughts hearing Nate's <laughs> you, email? <laughs> you can speak first. That's okay. <laughs> uh, no, I just um, like this idea of um, how you look somehow translates to like the type of music you like and the types of games you play. Yeah. Or, um, like I just think that that's that's interesting. Like um, it, he's saying that he's someone who doesn't seem butch, um, so maybe people look at him and think what he's too something to not be into cod and i also feel like with cod specifically there's almost this kind of like with um bands or like things that 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 men can be like protective over like it's almost like you have to Mm. prove like oh you play call of duty okay like what year did each one come out and who was the director of each game and like what was the studio responsible and (laughs) you know what i mean like yeah (laughs) it's so silly the yeah just the fact that, I mean, we've talked a lot about how even the concept of, like, being a gamer is so gendered. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then, like, yeah, Call of Duty being this quote-unquote hyper-masculine game. It's just, it's all ridiculous. Like, anybody can find something in Call of Duty that they enjoy. It's 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 competition. It's team building if you're playing multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Um, they have really fun uh, action-packed campaigns. Like, anybody can get into that. And yet, it's like... Oh, and mm-hmm. I really like what Nate said about how they assume that like everyone grew up playing video games mm-hmm. because I feel like pretty much everyone did. Yeah, like everyone gets uh, their hands on a video game at some point in their mm-hmm. life. Um, and we just yeah, I don't know why we want to pretend like in some it's way something that only yeah. some people do mm-hmm. as a hobby or like only some people have a right to it. Mm-hmm. Why why isn't it just as mainstream as like saying you watched a Disney movie as a kid? Like right. It, Anybody can be into this shit. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to fall into some specific category and yeah. there shouldn't be shock when someone says that they are into it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 
even if you've played a game, like a mobile game, like a Jackbox game or an, like a online, those like quiz games or like you could argue that anything interactive, like what's like, what's a video game? Like, like if you play Candy Crush on your phone, like, is that a game? Like, I feel like it is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why we need to put it in a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also really like the way, um, I'm glad that he said (laughs) that like, he feels like um, it's an accessible way to get back in now that he's kind of rekindling his connection yeah. to games. Cause yeah. Welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> like welcome back. Um, and I feel like it ties in with uh, like we'll get, we'll get to this, but the, the guests we have oh, this yeah. episode, we kind of talk about entering, re-entering the video game industry. And I think yeah. it, it can be really overwhelming if you haven't been in it for a while. Like, and that's part of what makes it so hard to, to figure out where to start. Um, but I just, I'm just, I love that he said that. Cause I think that that's, um, like you said, part of why we're doing it. So thank you, Nate. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Nate. Um, it, it, yeah. The, between Nate's email and the people saying hi to us on, on social media, mm-hmm. uh, it's, yeah, we, one of the main reasons that Spencer and I started this podcast is that we knew that there were more people out there playing video games who weren't, uh, straight white cis men, mm-hmm. um, that you know they dominate the media gaming media landscape and we knew there were people out there playing games who didn't fit into that category and we wanted to have conversations with them and get to know them so community like getting to know other people in that who are doing that who don't meet that definition um has been a goal from the beginning and having a community with them has been a goal from the beginning and so kind of to that end our third uh big housekeeping item that we wanted to bring it to y'all today uh is that uh, we are officially <laughs> launching a Patreon. Ooh, Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pixel Therapy is officially launching a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod. Uh, the entry-level tier is just $2 a month, and that gets you a monthly bonus episode uh, featuring Spencer and I deep diving on various video game topics. Uh, so if you do really like hearing us uh, babble about video games, mm-hmm. uh, this is the place to go. For those uh, all the- co-op mode episodes. We- exactly. Yes, we did a co-op. We did what was called a co-op mode episode, and um, it's just the two of us kind of like going in and um, getting to know each other in some ways and um, sharing with you, like just sort of um, outside of the interview space, just kind of like really um, having some, some therapy on, on how we think about and, and interact with games and the industry around it. Yeah, 100%. And we wanted to keep doing them. Uh, and this feels like a great way to do it because they are meant to be really a conversation between us and our community. And so that's what we're going to use the Patreon space for. Um, all the money that we make through the Patreon is going to go back into sustaining the long-term viability of this show uh, by helping to cover our software, equipment, and marketing costs. And most importantly, our guest fees because mm-hmm. we do compensate all of the guests that we bring onto the show for their time. And that's something that's really important to us. So uh, by supporting us on Patreon, uh, you're just ensuring we can continue to to produce the podcast long term. Yeah. Uh, of course, you're absolutely welcome in the pixel therapy community, regardless of whether you support us on Patreon. Uh, but this just is another way for us to see you and connect with you. Uh, and as an extra little bonus, the first 20 Patreon subscribers uh, will get a nice <laughs> little sticker featuring our pixel therapy album artwork. Uh, so if you're interested and you have the means, get over there, patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod and subscribe. We can't wait to connect with you all on there. 
That is right. And we also can't wait to see those stickers out in the wild. Yeah. Put, put it on, on your, your PS5. <laughs> put, put, it on, put it on your PS5. Put it on your laptop. Put it on your forehead and just walk around mm-hmm. uh, or on your mask, on your facial covering. That's as you right. Go out there into the COVID <gasps> world of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Put yeah. it on your water bottle. Put it on your friend's water bottle. <laughs> Put it on uh, your car. Really, really anywhere you might place a sticker, I think you'll yeah. be able to place these stickers. It's a pretty standard sticker arrangement. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it looks good. It matches with everything, really. Yeah, that Pixel right. Therapy album artwork. Yeah. Um, <laughs> courtesy of our amazing artist, um, Zar. Uh, just by the way, yes. they can be found at Jello Demon on Instagram. They are amazing. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Zar does excellent work. Thank you so much, Zar. Whew, uh, that was a lot of updates. Yeah, it's almost like we're a real podcast now or I something. Know, wow, <laughs> we have news. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! I just have so much to say. Yeah. Um, but Spencer, let's give the people what they really want, mm-hmm. uh, which is to continue to hear us talking. <laughs> what do you pl- What do you play in Spencer? Yeah, so okay, so I'm, I'm playing a lot of things. Um, there's one thing actually that is I feel like it kind of counts as a game, but basically, you know, I I am both blessed and cursed to have a job right now, um, just because it is a lot of. Um, like zoom and it can be very taxing um it's just like the lack of of being in a in a space physically with others um there's something that gets lost in translation i feel like with the lack of body language and just communication in general feels slower and harder mm-hmm. um especially for new people who who have joined the team during the pandemic over the past 8 months like it's just been harder for them to feel connected to the group and and to kind of you know, have those little interactions that sort of build up into a relationship that you develop with uh, someone you're just meeting for the first time. And um, anyway, long story short, um, the company decided, okay, we're going to come up with a way to help everyone socialize. And the soft, they found this software and it's called gather.town. You can check it out on your browser. But essentially it is this, 8-bit 2D world that Hmm. you log into and you create your little avatar. It's basically with the same like Unity-based building blocks that Stardew Valley was built with. So the styling of the um, pixel art is, it looks like you're in Stardew Valley. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, Dream come true. Yeah. And essentially it's like for, it's for organizations, companies, et cetera, to kind of recreate um, in a digital space, uh, the feeling of being at a conference or in a social setting. And the way it works is like your camera and microphone are, are on. Um, but as you're walking around, um, it'll turn on and off depending on your proximity to other people. So if you walk up to a group of, of people, you'll just like enter their conversation. Um, and so, okay, so here's the thing. Like, at first it was it was cute. Like, I was, like, walking around and there was, like, these kind of pixelated versions of the, um, like, there's a canal that goes by our office. And so there was, like, this walkway and the grassy area and then the, the water um, and, uh-huh. like, these kind of, um, like, pixelated versions of of, uh, of our beer garden that we had and, like, a tea, uh, these 
robots that would make us tea. I'm so, I work for like a tech company. I'm sorry. It's terrible. I know. <laughs> uh, robots that make you tea. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think my brain just shut off, I but please continue. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> excuse me. It's a nasal drip. I swear. Um, <laughs> it was cool and, and cute, but it was almost like, I feel like, I'm pretty introverted. And so when there were big social kind of company gatherings like that, it would kind of be my MO to sort of make the rounds, mostly do people watching, mostly talk to people that I know, um, but kind of just do like quick, like, oh, hey, great to see you, touch, like just kind of catch up a little bit and then keep moving. Um, mm-hmm. But you could kind of, I think again, like in, in meat space, <laughs> like you can kind of, feel the tone of a conversation before you walk up and you can decide if you want to engage or not without necessarily disrupting the flow of it. And in Mm -hmm. this world, it was like, you would just be dropped like no context, like a, like a video starting, like, like there's no like walking up and trying to see what they're talking about and then coming in. It's like all of a sudden you're just dropped into a room with people essentially. And And is it like, can you see the individuals talk? Like you can see their their video you don't see their video until you get close enough to the group of people so like okay you would see these like groups of of like huddles of pixelated people and yeah. you would be like oh like is that a closed <laughs> group you, <laughs> could, you could see their names and stuff but you couldn't uh-huh. see the videos until you got close enough um, so you can't, it's not like you can walk up and, and like, as you're walking up, sort of eavesdrop a little bit on the right, conversation and exactly. decide if, you, if it's something you can pop into or not. Right. And oh, you just boy. awkwardly appear. So I feel like I'm, I just- I'm sweating. Yeah. I just started like <laughs> running. Like I was just- <laughs> Just like, like racing laps around the map. Yeah. Like I just didn't want to, because I, I would pop in and then everyone would either like stop talking and be like- <laughs> Oh no. Oh no. Or they just keep going and you're like you feel like you feel like you're intruding because it's like Oh my god, yeah, and then you just leave. Yeah, you just leave. <laughs> the video just comes up and then just goes away. So oh no. What I would do is I would make rounds and then I would periodically change the appearance of my character so that people wouldn't be like, Oh, it's the same person who just keeps like coming by our group. <laughs> so like okay i guess what i want to say is i really respect the technology and i i love this idea of sort of gamifying like a like i i love the spirit of it there were like little mini games in it um but i think it just it kind of magnified what makes for awkward situations at company gatherings in general um i think it was just my team it would be more fun because we already know yeah. each other and there's that sort of casualness uh between us all yeah but having to meet strangers in that space was horrifying <laughs> oh my gosh yeah so if how large is your organ like how many people were at this thing um so it was optional so there were like I want to say 200 people in there. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So when you were originally describing this to me, um, cause we were chatting about this, mm-hmm. uh, just socially, mm-hmm. you know, we do have conversations that aren't recorded. I swear. <laughs> um, <clears throat> when we were chatting about this like a week ago, I was like, Oh, that sounds like a really interesting idea because well, my, uh, for some context, my organization is only about 50 people. Mm-hmm. And so we've been trying to have zoom socials that are just like 
pull my fucking teeth out yeah. of my head. Literally just like 30, 40 people getting into a Zoom room <laughs> and like two people are talking and everyone else is just smiling uncomfortably at the uh. camera. And then that happens for an hour and then people log off. Yeah. Um, and, and what I've always appreciated about socials is like, you know, since it's a fairly small organization, everyone knows each other to some extent, right? Mm-hmm. But you still have, I don't know if clicks is the right word, but you still have groups of people mm-hmm. who work more closely together, who have a deeper relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you go to a gathering, like those groups are kind of broken off and then people will kind of like say hi to each other across the groups. But like you still have like your core group that you're you're kind of rolling in with and you're chatting with and you're rolling out with. Mm-hmm. Um that you know pretty well. And so what appealed to me when you were describing the software was like, oh, that sounds like it would actually allow the people who know each other better to kind of like get in their own group, but you could still kind of, you could still mingle and say hi Mm. to other people and still have like a base to come back to and talk to. Mm. So it's not this weird thing where like, only the people who feel comfortable talking to everyone mm-hmm. in the Zoom room, which is what we end up with at these Zoom socials that we've had. You know, there's a handful of people that feel comfortable just talking to yeah. 30 people. Um, and the other folks who don't are are sitting there quietly. It would, like, allow people to have smaller group conversations. Yeah. And it, it sounded like that sounded appealing to me yeah. in that context. But what you're describing of, like, walking up on, like, strangers and trying to poke your head into their conversations – that sounds like a fucking nightmare. That sounds absolutely so stressful and horrifying. Yeah, like I think it is like it, it's in theory good for that situation you described, but I think because like it's almost like I wish you could adjust the sensitivity of when it or at least prompt you like do you want to join this conversation yes or no but the Mm. idea that like because it got to the point where the space just got so saturated that just walking through the path you would have you would end up accidentally triggering conversations with people because you just Mm. moved too close to them um yeah but like they did have this thing called ghost mode where you could turn it on and um like um (laughs) Like basically be like an Among Us ghost where no one can see you, but you can see them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, like Clay Aiken, the fly. If, if I was invisible, yeah, <laughs> if I was invisible. Yeah. So there was that. Um, I did utilize that a little bit, but then I felt weird, like I was oh yeah dropping. So I, I kind of yeah. just was like, I think I'm good. <laughs> I think I'm going to go home now, a.k.a. log out of yeah. the meeting. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I met, I saw a couple folks in there that I usually don't run into, but it was also kind of like, hey, hey, like, we're in this world. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Okay. Um, what, it's not yeah. like any, there's nothing to do. You know, it's not like we could be like, yeah. oh, let's get a drink and talk or let's go play ping pong or something like it's just like, well you said there was there were games in there how did the games work okay so that's the thing is like there were games technically but it was basically like they would have an external like you know there's this game called dribble.io and it's like a group game a browser-based game um mm-hmm. and so essentially you would go to this little pixelated game table and you would press like to play and then it would just load an embedded window of the other website so you still have like it's not like it was seamlessly connected you would still have to build a room on that website coordinate with whoever you wanted to play with and then set it up 
it was just like another, it was just like a window to another browser. It was essentially just like opening a new tab. So it wasn't really like, connect, it wasn't really integrated. The games weren't like built into the platform. Right, yeah. Was, yeah, I guess what I was envisioning was when you were originally describing it to me and I was looking at the pictures, I was just envisioning something different. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like if you could, and th- this technology exists, right? Like I, they, it's, I've seen it used in multiplayer games and stuff, right? But like spatial... Like the ability to hear things uh, based on your location in mm-hmm. the game world. So, like, I feel like that would be something that could very well, I don't want to say very easily. I, these things are complicated, I am sure. But the mm-hmm. technology exists where theoretically they could set it up where, as you're actually, your character on the screen is walking through the party, as you approach conversations, you can actually hear what those individuals are saying. Mm-hmm. To some right, yeah. like as you get closer, you yeah. the same as you would at a party, and then that would help you know, like, is it okay for me to kind of bounce in? Yeah. Or even if they let you talk to people in that way, like let yeah. all of the audio happen that way, and then if you're investing mm. in a conversation, you actually join, and you can all see each other's Ooh, faces. I like that. That feels like it would be more seamless. Yeah, like I love that. I mean, honestly, like it, it very much felt like this was in beta um yeah. again it's gather.town like definitely check it out i think it's a cool idea like these it's these fully customizable um spaces i love the sort of integration of um like this video game space being a place to translate like what used to be like real life experiences um mm-hmm. i love I, I hope that it continues to grow and like you said like kind of become more sophisticated in sort of emulating what it's like to be in a real life space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like instead of trying to, like, I feel like we're always about efficiency, efficiency, like, like let's uh, like totally uh, transform uh, how we connect. And it's like, mm-hmm. I feel like people just want just like, there's something <laughs> to this kind of organic connection and yeah. Um, we don't necessarily need to reinvent the wheel. Like, um, like I think, I think if anything, people are nostalgic for how things used to be and want it to feel yeah. more like it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's um, totally right. Anyway, um, <laughs> speaking of nostalgia, <laughs> maybe, and just like, uh, fun. <laughs> what are you playing? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was such a smooth transition. Thank you. Um, <laughs> when we're talking about seamless, uh, <laughs> yeah, hitting the nail on the head. Uh, no, uh, myself, uh, like yourself, uh, got PS5s. We're one of we're Finally, the lucky somehow. We're some of the lucky ones, the blessed ones. Yeah. Um, we pre-ordered the PS5s as soon as they went up. And we were able to actually get them. It was all thanks and- to Jamie. I did nothing. <laughs> uh, well, and I, I credit my PS5 to you at Wario64 on Twitter. Uh, it's, a, yeah. it's a deals account on Twitter. He tweets out links to deals and stuff when they go up. And the, he he is the only reason that I was able to get a PS5. He's the only reason anyone was in a, has been able to get a <laughs> Pretty PS5. much. I feel, like, I feel like a lot of people can trace their PS5 purchase back to Wario. <laughs> uh, so thank you, Wario64, and all the good that you do in the world yeah real one. um <laughs> yeah for sure but uh but yeah that came that came last week uh in the mail and I, I i don't know you know it's there's lots to be upset with in the world right now for sure um but last week was kind of like video game christmas for me a little bit and i feel like i'm still in kind of the afterglow of that <laughs> yeah like uh, 
I don't know. This is the second time I've been able to get a console at launch, uh, which I, I do consider myself very lucky to be able to do that. Um, and uh, the PS4 was the first one. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's just exciting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like a consumer sucker, mm. uh, suckling at the teat of corporate. <laughs> Sony. <laughs> I, I don't know, but, but it's just fun. It's fun to like have the new thing and to set it up and to, mm-hmm. to get the new games and to play them and, yeah. It feels exciting. It feels new and fresh. I will say, like, one thing that's just so cool about the PS5 is, like, I was able to plug it in and just unplug my PS4 mm. and just put my PS4 away. Like, mm. all of the all of those games in my backlog on the PS4, I'm going to be able to play those on my PS5. Did you sync? So, so you synced them before you unplugged the PS4? I didn't because uh, the one of the downsides to the PS5 is that it does not have a ton of storage space. It only oh, has okay. about 650 gigs of storage space. So uh, what I did is I'm keeping my PS4 games on uh, an external hard drive, mm. um, but I can just plug that into the PS5 and play them right off of that hard oh, drive nice. when I want to. Um, is it like so, a special hard drive for the PS4 or is it just any old hard drive? No, it's a two terabyte Seagate oh. external USB hard drive. Cool. Um, they're like $50. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Um, so it's pretty easy to do. It actually, it was the hard drive that I had, installed in my ps4 mm. so on the the ps4 you could actually swap out the hard drive uh to expand your storage mm. capacity so it was a hard drive that I actually had in the ps4 and this is riveting podcasting <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry is this boring <laughs> um, i i don't know i'm a big fucking nerd and i like all this stuff so yeah, yeah. i like being able to have all my ps4 games on that and i like that i've just been able to play on the ps5 and the yeah. controller feels really good in my hands. Like so I've been nerding good. out about the controller. Like it just like feels like it fits yeah, so in heavy. a way that I, it's, yeah, it's got a little bit of weight to yeah. it. Um, but yeah, some of the games I've been playing, I played Astro's Playroom, mm. which is like this cute little platforming game. It's only a couple hours long and it's, re- it's really like a tech demo for the controller, but it's mm. also kind of a love letter to PlayStation. There's like mm. all these little, they're, they're these cute little, um, little white and blue and black robots Mm. that are kind of bopping around and they make weird little robot noises. And as you're like moving through the worlds, you can find all of the robots like acting out different scenes from different (laughs) PlayStation video games over the years. And it was like so cool to like find them and then be like, oh, what game is that? Because it doesn't quite, you know, there's still the robots. You're like, "Mm, that looks familiar. What is that? Oh, that's The Last of Us. Oh, my gosh. Um, Wow. So that was that was really cute and cool. And and. While it's doing all that, it's like showing you all the cool things that the controller can do. Uh, the haptic feedback in the triggers is really impressive. Uh, mm. There's You can get this little um, turret gun that shoots little balls out and you're like holding mm. down the trigger and it's like the trigger mm. is like shaking your finger and you can actually feel the the bol- the little balls mm. coming out of the gun and stuff like wow. that. It's just cool. really fun. Yeah, It's a fun, cute cool. little game. So I played that. Uh, I've been playing Miles Morales the new mm. Spider-Man game. Um, I've been playing it in performance mode, which I've never done before. So it's 60 frames per second, mm. uh, 4K resolution. And holy shit, like my eyeballs, I can't go back. <laughs> <laughs> I can't go back. Uh, what is it just like? It's just so fucking smooth. It just uh, looks smooth as hell. Like okay. is the best way I can describe it. And uh, it's really impressive. Cool. I'm really liking that game so far. Not really ready to talk about it yet. Yeah. I'm only a couple hours in, but mm. really liking it so far. But the game that grabbed my heart <laughs> and my mind and my soul and my body <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and my stomach. Yeah. Bug snacks. Yes. Thinking, talking about bug snacks. What's your favorite uh, <laughs> bug snack? Favorite bug snack is probably, mm, 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 mm. I really like the bunger. Bunger, 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 bunger. bunger. <laughs> uh, and I really like uh, Scoopy Banoopy. <laughs> okay, I have not met that one yet. But wait, oh, but just describe bunger for the people. Okay, so bunger is, uh, okay, so for, let's rewind for two seconds. Uh, if you don't know what Bug Snacks is, go look up the trailer for Bug Snacks and just watch it. It's like a three-minute trailer. It's so funny and weird and cute. Uh, yeah. But basically, the pitch for Bug Snacks is that you are a thing called a grumpus, which is kind of like a little otter bear creature. Little fuzzy guy. Little fuzzy, little fuzzy guy. guy. Little fuzzy guy. I love that you know, the game is first person, and when you look down, you can <laughs> yeah. see your little belly. Your you little can tummy. see your belly. You can see your little furry belly. It's so yeah. fucking cute. I love um, it. So you're this thing called a grumpus, and you're a reporter. Mm-hmm. And you've been sent to this place called Snacktooth Island, where the explorer Lisbert Megafig yes. uh, has discovered these things called bug snacks. <laughs> and bug snacks are... Kind of bug and kind of snack. <laughs> exactly that, exactly that. Uh, what Spencer's alluding to is there's this wonderful song that plays in the trailer that basically just describes the entire premise of the game, which is why yeah. I'm saying go... Look up the Bug Snacks trailer. That's B-U-G-S-N-A-X. Look it up. Watch it. If you don't know what we're talking about, you need to know what we're talking about. So please go look this up and watch this trailer. But Bug Snacks are food that Mm -hmm. is like an insect, essentially. And so the Bunger looks like a little cheeseburger and he's wrapped yeah. up in little little paper yeah. and he's got he's got curly fries for legs yeah and he's got uh regular fries for little tusks little tusks and he's got big googly eyes they and all have just, big googly eyes <laughs> they all have big googly eyes and kind of like pokemon they all say their name yeah and so and all of their names are like kind of plays on sometimes it's it's like hinting towards the insect that they're like like there's a pinantula mm-hmm. that crawls around like a tarantula but it's a pineapple um and yeah the bunger is a burger uh and yeah he he uh he wanders around he goes bunger 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 and it's just fucking cute but the the, like slightly but this game is so fucking weird because it's also slightly horrifying because when people eat the bug snacks first of all they have to eat them alive Mm -hmm. you can't cook the bug snacks because it's just food Um, and the way they describe it is like there's a whole bug snack mythology and they're like it's weird because they're like oh you know it's like there's a scientist you meet and she's like, look, the, the bug snacks have no organs or seeds or insides. Like they're just, yeah. they're just good. And I'm like, I don't, how I, <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. It's weird and kind of scary, but when you Something eat the bug unhinged snacks, about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, it's, it like, uh, it's so cute and like nice and pleasant and like the world, it's all like really bright colors and cartoonish, but there's like this weird, like undercurrent uh, of dread. E- exactly. Like there's something constantly needling at your brain about like something about this isn't quite right because when they eat the bug snacks, mm-hmm. it turns parts of their body into the snack. Yeah. Uh, so for example, if you eat a bunger, uh, your hand might turn into a curly fry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and like that can, you can, uh, so you meet different grumpuses on the island, you catch the bug snacks, you feed the bug snacks to the different grumpuses, and you can fully transform them into these kind of horrifying yeah. <laughs> food creations. Um, and they like crave it. <laughs> 
they crave it. Yeah, the bug snacks are like addicting. Yeah. Uh, there's this whole thing. So I, I actually finished the game. I'm not going to say anything more about that because, uh, yeah, the meta narrative does go there. But the I, there's also like you get you get to the town uh, where you're you're expecting to find Lisbur, and instead you just find um, the self proclaimed mayor of the town, Philbo. Mm. Um, and Philbo is sad because when Lisbert left, all of the Grumpuses living in the town, uh, moved away and went off to do their own things. And he would like to bring them all back. And so the, the main story of the game, the main drive of your character is that you're ultimately trying to find Lisbert, but in doing that, you're bringing all of the, the Grumpuses and there's like 12 or so of them. You're bringing them mm -hmm. all back to the community. You're getting to know them. You're getting to understand why they left. Mm -hmm. And they all have uh, really complicated, like interpersonal relationships yeah. with each other. Um, and it's just really, I, I don't know. There's like, there's like something really heartwarming in the story too, about like community and how mm -hmm. um, people learn to get along and like use their strengths together to survive. Mm -hmm. Um and to build friendship with each other. And like you can, there are things that you can disagree about, but you can still find common ground. And mm. I, I don't know, there's like a really heartwarming like narrative there kind of underneath all of this other weird, silly shit. Yeah. Um, and I was, it's really connected with me. Yeah. I, I've definitely been surprised. I'm, I'm also playing it, but I'm not um, done like Jamie is, but um, by the sort of complexity of the characters and the yeah. the darkness that some of them have and exactly the, yeah um the ways that they like humans can betray each other lie to each other um sort of have what might be considered toxic relationships mm -hmm. um it's just uh, it, i think it it's a game that truly appeals to people of very many like a whole range of, of ages and and backgrounds like it yeah. doesn't seem like it's for kids but i don't know <laughs> i think i'm pretty sure it's rated like e for everyone and i think it's it's like one of those things where it's i don't think it's quite striking a pixar tone i don't mm -hmm. think it's quite what i would say but it is it does have a similarity to pixar in that like i feel like kids would enjoy playing bug snacks because of, Oh, all the goofy bugs and the snacks and the, the grumpuses are being silly. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's like a deeper narrative there for adults to pull mm -hmm. out um, as well. But yeah, I I've been similarly really surprised by the depth uh, and, and all of the characters. I just really like them so much. They feel like complete people. And mm -hmm. I, I wasn't expecting that, you know, based yeah. on the trailer, I was really excited for this game. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, it just looks so cute and silly. And I'm going to catch these bugs. And I'm going to feed them. And it looks weird. And mm -hmm. I love that. And then, like, it's all of those things, and it has, like, this deep, uh, th these deep characters that I'm really connected to. Yeah. Uh, so, it, it really took me by surprise. It's a really, really good game. Really and fun. And it's queer. Yes, yeah. There's Canonically. Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. There's a couple different um, uh, gay couples in the game and yeah. a non-binary character. And I just, I like it a lot. Yeah. It's a really cute game. It's cute. Well, I guess we should probably get <laughs> to our interview. Uh, 
I'm pretending to be down about that. Uh, <laughs> I'm really excited for this interview that we have. We could talk about bug snacks for hours. Yeah, but. that's really the issue. That's really the issue. Um, so today, the interview that we have for you is with Momoko Schaefer. Uh, she goes by Momo. She's from Boston. Uh, she is an artist, uh, primarily a glass artist, uh, mm-hmm. known for sculpting molten glass as her main tool of expression. NBD. Uh, yeah, yeah, no big deal. Uh, it's an ancient be- art form, no big deal. <laughs> You're literally pulling fire out of an oven and sculpting it, but it's yeah, fine. No problem. Uh, Momo was featured on Netflix's original series, Blown Away, uh, which is about a glass glass blowing competition. Um, but uh, the main reason that we had her on the podcast is we think she's an interesting person. We think she does awesome artwork and she's as an artist, she describes herself as someone who's incredibly curious about art and other forms of expression. She doesn't consider herself a gamer uh, actually, though she is really interested in the world of games. Um, She does play mobile games, which we talked with her about, but she just has a deep fascination with gaming and the gaming community. And as someone who's trying to do art uh, in this time of pandemic, she's also been really branching out more into streaming and looking for new ways to showcase her art online. And so the gaming space and the Twitch community space is something that's really gotten on her radar recently. And she, she was just like a really, uh, smart, interesting person who's really curious. And we had a really, (laughs) the conversation kind of goes places. It goes (laughs) all over the place. And we talk about um, all of these aspects of the gaming community kind of through the eyes of a non-gamer. Yeah, yeah. I think that she's a great example of someone for whom gaming and gamers um like she's played games they've they've interacted with her life and been around in different ways that she sort of talks about in the interview um like i like her story about um uh playing gta as a way to connect um with a cousin of hers uh living in japan and trying to learn about american culture and and it's very (laughs) like totally um out of what's the word like exaggerated and ridiculous as GTA is an example of that. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, having her perspective um, as an artist, as someone working with a medium that is so, is so ancient and so um, kind of tactile and and based in very um, uh, physical uh, in a physical manner, um, I think having her as a for a discussion on um, video games and this wholly digital space that's being cultivated in this pandemic era um, is really really cool. Um, but yeah, if you want to see more of Momo, um, you can check her out on Blown Away. It's like the glass blowing version of Chopped. It's pretty intense, and she has a really distinctive and cool art style. And yeah, without further ado, we're just really excited to bring you this conversation with Momo Shaver. Momo, hi. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. It's so great to see you. So happy to be here. <laughs> great way to start uh, Saturday. Oh my gosh, yes. I couldn't agree more. Um, to start, you know, for folks who may not be familiar with you, with your work, um, would you care to say a little bit about who you are and, and what you're up to? Yeah, I guess uh, primarily um, I'm an artist. Uh, my name is Momoko Schaefer. Most, most people call me Momo. Um, I'm also an educator, so I teach classes. Um, prior to COVID, I was doing a lot of like selling glass and stuff like that. But now if you check me out now, I'm kind of doing a lot of other things 
digital drawings, uh, producing videos for my Patreon, uh, writing, all kinds of stuff. So, From your website, um, you talk about how your, wo- your work specifically is focused on helping communities create a really tangible relationship with glass art. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something that people might not know is that you know, getting into glass isn't exactly easy. For mm-hmm. one thing, it's not the most accessible mainstream art form. And for mm-hmm. another thing, it's pretty expensive um, mm-hmm. to get access to the, to the materials, to the equipment. Um, so can you talk about talk more about how your glass work and your community work kind of intersect and, and what it is about, um, like, how you're breaking down these barriers? Yeah, I mean, this is something that's a continual process, especially uh, being someone who's a budding artist and very much in the entry point of this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, very recently, I've kind of gained some prominence. And with that prominence, I'm trying to make sure that I take advantage of that platform and speak up on that because, frankly, the glass industry is pretty archaic. And there's a lot of mm-hmm. things that like haven't changed for a very long time that really mm-hmm. need to change. And um, even in past movements, like hashtag me too and stuff, like I didn't see any change. It just breezed right over. And um, with the Black Lives Matter movement happening right now, it has to change. It mm-hmm. absolutely has to change. Yeah, what you said about how movements like, uh, like you know, the recent refocusing in on police brutality against black Americans and mm-hmm. um, how you said that kind of just goes over the glass community and, and isn't really something that these artists might think is relevant to them because they're not, you know, they're not political. They're just artists. Um, I mean, we don't have the option to separate <laughs> um, our, our, ourselves from our art. I think as, you know, as people of color, as uh, I, I mean, I was going to say as women, but I forgot I'm not a woman anymore. So, um, but are, do you identify, how do you identify a moment? I don't want to speak for you, but, right. you know, I was wondering if you had more to say about that kind of relationship between, uh, you know, artists and this contemporary moment we're in and how, like, you're, I think, part of like a really great, um, just sort of this waking up to the fact that we are all connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm seeing a lot of people having more conversations. Um, I'm I'm obviously somebody as somebody who's biracial, as somebody who's queer. This has always been on my mind. Um, I do identify as a woman, and I'm mm-hmm. very, you know, I'm very like in in a heteronormative world, I blend in very well. Mm-hmm. So that that doesn't really come up as much. But me being uh, very Asian passing is a very consistent thing. So. Anytime anything racial even came up, like people would look to me as if I would be the spokesperson for mm. all people of color, all of them, you know, <laughs> and because truly like it's me and maybe like very recently somebody reached out to me saying that they wanted to hire a black glassblower in like the Boston area. And it was mm-hmm. so painful to like have to try to do that search knowing that the options would be extremely limited because glass has not been mm. made accessible to a ton of communities, especially like black POC people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you were on a, sh- a Netflix show called blown away. Um, it was a reality show and um, it, essentially for folks who may not know, it brought a, a bunch of glass workers from all over the world. Right. Um, yeah together 
uh, and to compete um, in a big hot shop. Um, and Momo, your work was um, like at the time you were focused on creating work that had to do with dreams. And mm-hmm. folks should definitely look up Momo's glass art. It's it's beautiful. It's evocative. I think that it there's a certain playfulness to it. Um, it really sort of takes glass. Uh, into an unexpected place, into a fun place, into an accessible place. Um, And before I even uh, met you, I remember watching Blown Away and feeling this immediate, uh, like the sharp feeling in my chest, because I I honestly felt like a lot of the judging that you received um, was racist. You were, I think you may have been the only uh, non-white person in that room uh, of competitors, and it was very clear from the way the judging was done that the types of things that they were looking for and and trying to pass across as like universal truths of what is good glass art all had to do with very archaic and uh, some might say old fashioned, but like in a shitty way of thinking. Like it was very Eurocentric, I would say in yeah. its uh, in its judging, and I and I was wondering like you compose yourself with such dignity and I felt like your personality came through you, like you were in there as a young person uh, just like killing it. And I had such a ton of respect for you, but I just was wondering, like, did it feel weird? Like, did you, did you feel like shit was weird? (laughs) I mean, just from the very beginning, right? Like this was a reality TV show and obviously they want to make it as interesting as possible. And so having a diverse cast of characters, if I can Mm -hmm. call us artists characters for the show, um, like that's definitely a priority. Um, So I could, you know, obviously I kind of was, that was in the back of my mind when I'm thinking of like why it is that I'm being picked. Obviously they want a range of age Mm. experience, um edgar was the only other person of color on the show Mm -hmm. and so it's interesting to see that like us being one of the youngest people in the room to also be the only people of color in the room is very telling of like where glass was but also where glass might be moving i don't Mm -hmm. think the show is representative of what every hot shop looks like Mm -hmm. but the fact that like we exist and that the opportunity was given to us that we're getting this publicity and people are seeing the potential that we hold in the types of conversations, the original designs, concepts, um, the cultural fusion that we bring to the table. Um, I think the audience really was captivated by that. And then, yeah, some people were struggling with like, what, what is with this like Eurocentric conversation? Cause glass blowing, a lot of its history is Eurocentric. And so mm. we'll continue to put that on a pedestal and um, yeah, that does hinder um having a wider vision of what the potential really is. It felt like the pieces where you were most trying to bring in um, aspects of your culture or things that um, were new to folks in the glass world, like that was immediately cast off as, oh, um, this is childish. This is amateur. This is not art. And I just was like (laughs) sitting there, like burning up and I wasn't even in the room. And so I just want to say like, I totally see you. And um, yeah, that was, I'm, yeah. I'm glad that it, you were able to have that experience and like uh, have the world see more of your art. And I'm excited to see more and more of what you said mm-hmm. of this um, sort of rising uh, movement within the glass world that is um, 
more dynamic, younger, kind of pushing the boundary of contemporary glass art. Yeah, thank you for saying that and sharing that because it is kind of hard to pick up on those nuances when you're watching a reality TV show and mm-hmm. so much of our conversation never made it to Netflix, right? And so, yeah, it's interesting to hear that you were able to pick up on that because, again, a lot of what was actually exchanged during those critiques were not publicized. Mm. And I think there's reason for that, right? Like, uh, there definitely was more that I had to say, but they also have to think about the the, uh, optics of the show. And if there's too much serious criticism on the judges and the validity of the judges' opinions and thoughts on things, then that kind of starts to chip away at the integrity of the whole competition and the whole show. Mm. So, you know, those are the things that I kind of had to weigh out in, you know, things that I still, you know, I, I wonder, I'm like 10 years from now, like when can I really spill the tea on like, yeah. That? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When's that NDA run out? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so this is a podcast about video games. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, like, what is your history with video games? What role have video games played in your life? That's a good one. Um, people don't really ask me this question. <laughs> you know, like, people are just like, you're a glass blower, you're an artist. So this is a really unique place that I'm in right now on a video yeah. game podcast, even telling my friends and family. They're like, <laughs> yeah. you? Why you? <laughs> <laughs> But um, video games, it's huge. It's everywhere. Games are important because that's just part of human life. We mm. grow, Even when we go to school and play recess, like we're playing, playing and interacting and playing out different roles, different boundaries, different rules, different goals. Like all of that's super important. Um, I, I will say like one of my earliest memories of like a video game experience that I really enjoyed that was like consistent um, was probably late middle school. While I was in Japan for the summer, like I spent many of my summers in Japan and um, I was hanging out with my cousin and he was playing Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> and like it was just such a stark clash of like Japanese <laughs> culture and like American culture and like me being the person to explain to him like oh God. why the motive of the game is to kill somebody and then to like get this prostitute and then collect this and like, you know, like. Oh God! Welcome to America. Concept, yeah. Like, why are we bashing cars? What? Mm. Like, what are these weapons? Like, guns are not even legal in Japan. So, like, the concept of gun mm. is oh, geez, right? So, yeah. so that was like an interesting moment, and that was also like the summer where I was like super into like getting into hip hop and R and B, and I'm trying to like translate all these like jay Z, Eminem, like Kanye lyrics to him. <laughs> So there was a lot of memory tied around Grand Theft Auto, like that yeah. time I spent in that living room, just like doing terribly violent things. <laughs> yeah, that it's it's both like like you said, like um, it's a lot of things. Like there's sort of stuff to ha- you have to explain and stuff that you sort of have to be like, oh no, like this is just a game, like uh, and like reasons for why things are here. But there's also like the shared language of like you can both pick up and play the game together, mm-hmm. um, and it's also like a bonding experience. Um, I thought that kind of uh, harkened back to what you said earlier about like 
you know, you're a glass artist. People expect you to be talking about glass, but play, that's something that's universal Mm -hmm. to like the human experience. Um, And it's true. Like, I think when we hear about like gamers, we think of people who, for whom gaming is their a huge part of their life or it's like the main thing we talk about. Um, Mm. And, but yet like, I figure most people have probably interacted with a video game in some way over the course of their life, whether that's Candy Crush on the phone or whether that's, you know, sync going, joining a super smash brothers competition or whether that's like playing, you know, an RPG at at night after work, like, uh, even things like chess.com, like that's, that counts as a video game to me, like it's digital. It's, um, you know, it, it's integrated into, I think this seeking out play is something that we all need regardless of age. Um, but other than GTA, um, are there any other specific games that sort of stand out in memory to you when you think back? I mean, a ton of games came and went. I mean, my sister played a lot of video games, so that was always kind of around, friends that were super into video games like I had a lot of like um you know just a lot of friends who were super into that and competitive but not in like a sports competitive they kind Mm. of liked um you know world of warcraft like creating their own worlds and Mm. more intricate it was it was too intricate that like I you know for me like part of what was my block is like uh you know either not having the money to buy like consoles and things like that or Mm. Um, that it was so complex that like I would be struggling through the tutorial. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to like really play. And and um something I could always see is like my gamer friends being frustrated, you know, like I love watching them and you know, it's it's still interesting to me, but they only want me to jump in as a button master so many times. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Another game that you uh, mentioned to us that you've enjoyed playing uh, were were mobile games like Animal Crossing and yeah. Pocket Potion. Yeah. Um, and s- tell us more about uh, like these mobile games. Like you mentioned, they help you feel productive. Mm-hmm. Like you're like you're building a world, building an empire. Is there something therapeutic about that for you? Like what draws you to these games? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, like I think Hawk and Potion was a few years ago when, you know, like I'd be doing a ton of commuting on public transportation. So just be like little ways to like cook up this thing or, you know, kind of feel like I'm doing something, but it's also eye candy at the same time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, that's just, it was just kind of like this like fun kind of just like time filler in between kind of thing. And, and now like during COVID and all, like I've had all this time on my hands and I haven't been able to like you know, go out or see people or do like normal or like what's normal to me, like mm. blowing glass and selling work, going to art shows. So, um, so in my downtime in between zoom calls or whatever, I would just like pick it up. And my favorite combination is like listening to like some dope podcasts while I'm just like going around yeah. and collecting fruit and going fishing or whatever. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah. Like I think, you know, like m- mobile gaming, it, I don't often think of it when immediately when I think about video games, but Mm -hmm. it really, like, especially now when phones are becoming more and more just like many very powerful computers (laughs) or tablets, like the the types of games that you can play on your phone now 
are miles ahead of like what you'd be playing on handheld held consoles from like even I'm thinking to like the Game Boys and DSs like a phone. Right. You could probably play a whole ass like RPG on my iPhone X um, today. But, you know, like mobile gaming has really made gaming as a whole like super accessible, I think. And um, it might get a bad rap, but um, did you feel like the advent of like mobile phones and mobile gaming has turned it into something that you wouldn't have otherwise done before? Hmm. I think, I think just as a curious person, when I'm even just like scrolling through like my options in the app store or something like that, I can't help but to want to see, like there's still like a whole artistry behind designing these things. And so as a visual person, I want to see like what, how they create this like three dimensional virtual world. Mm. Um, yeah. It's, and, and also I think for me also this, this is particular to me because social media is a lot and sometimes it's really just a job for me. And so like, maybe I don't want to interact with people. And so this is like a nice way to still get that eye candy, but it's not related to commercials or any like, you know, self-promotional or any of that is just, it's purely just this like fantastical, not real, you know, just mm. it's escape. Own little escape. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Mo, something that you wrote to us uh, before you joined us for the interview was, I'll just read it out loud, but you wrote, gamers have always been in and around my life, and recently I've come to realize how massive the industry is. I've been watching some gamers and personalities on Twitch, and I understand how it's been a huge tool for healing and socializing. Um, And I was just wondering, like, what excites you about um, you know, your discovery of the industry and how big it is um, and and these understandings of, of gaming as a tool as well as as a hobby. Like, um, like what excites you about that discovery and, and um, h- how do you think about, like, what are your hopes for how games will evolve in the future? Mm. So I just want to start by saying, like, talk about some serious taboo that like I had no idea how big the video game industry was because like it was like the best kept secret like (laughs) yeah for real yeah like I had no idea that like anything could be even bigger than the NFL Mm, and like mm. after watching uh Hassan Minhaj's show Patriot Act where Mm. there was an episode about video games and he was like it's like 10 times bigger than the NFL and I'm like what yeah. <laughs> oh, is this possible? I mean, maybe this is just like the money side, but like even still, if everybody games, uh, yeah. So that it just totally. I I'm I'm someone who likes to think like as an artist that I am kind of in tuned with what people are talking about and cultural mm. shifts that are happening, and for something so massive like that to just somehow slip by me. Um, I don't know if that attests to how much of a taboo it is or if I just, mm. know, right. I think it may be a little bit of both, um, right. but yeah. Cause yeah, a lot of gamers hide that part of themselves cause it's embarrassing to them that they think people think it's silly or lazy or waste of time and all this stuff. So 
Like I literally had a manager once refer to like we were talking about everyone was like sharing what they were going to do that weekend. And I was like, oh, there's this new game coming out that I'm really excited for. And he was like, well, we all have our vices. This is like like other people were talking about like, oh, they were going to, you know, go pick apples or they were going to like make a pie. But like games was like a it was just like a weird like such a stigma around it. Stigma. So that's been like my main interaction with like sharing my hobby with people. So this space and like having people be like, yeah, we love games too has been very affirming and nice. You would think that there'd be more of that. Sorry, go ahead, Momo. What were you going to (laughs) say? I'm just just thinking, you know, it's just bold to be like, that's a vice when like, that's like, that's like the only thing you talk about or something like that, where people like cannot, they don't know anything about you aside from (laughs) right only thing you're willing to speak about. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's kind of bold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I I really credit that to just being like, I think people just complete, people who don't play games or interact with games very much have just a complete misunderstanding of yeah. what gaming is and what people get out of gaming. Mm-hmm. And that's what creates that perception that it's a vice or this lazy hobby or whatever. I think it's just a complete misunderstanding of what it is is and and I can't fully blame individuals who have that perception for that misunderstanding because I think that's how it's traditionally been represented. Um that's yeah. true. And I also hear that or not here. I mean I've seen this too, but like I think the loudest voices in the room or the people who you who are often most visible in the gaming community are like cis white guys and uh, there's a certain like culture around gaming that can come about um, that mm-hmm. folks may not feel like is it, that it's a place for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like I feel like it's a lot of things. Like you said, there's such a stigma that I think uh, it wasn't until super recently that it kind of became cool again to be a gamer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things coming around. Like anime wasn't cool, and now it's oh my god, cool. anime is so sexy now. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> games also though like they have so many different layers um so when like they can be so huge because there's so many different ways that people are interacting with them Mm. i think traditionally we think of like games as like yeah what that that small group of those like cis white men have decided are games Mm -hmm. but even like you momo playing mobile games that's a huge piece of the market and there's tons of people who engage with games that way every day. And there's a ton of money that comes into games that way. And yet when you actually say like, who's playing games and who are gamers, that group of people gets completely ignored from the conversation. Like that's how this like huge community can just like, (laughs) just stay under the radar because no one is really thinking about it in the, in like the full picture. And that's both inter inside of the community and outside of it. Mm. And what you said about like, I I felt another way of interpreting what you were saying of how people can engage with games in so many different ways is also just how, like I'm thinking of uh, Persona 5. Uh, it's a, a Japanese role-playing game, but it's a very long game. It's like 200 hours plus. And uh, I feel like what I've seen is that there are those who are le- like, the fandom of this game is like those who have played the game 
and now just know the world very deeply and still like to engage in discussions about the game because they spent 200 plus hours in it and that they have a lot to say about it. Then you have people who are like playing the game and who are going through it maybe for the first time and sort of having that very new experience of getting deeper and deeper into this world. Um, In Japan, the game has also been turned into a stage play. Uh, and so you have people who are interacting with the live theater version of it who maybe have never even played the game. Um, mm-hmm. There's now this live action component. There's the relationships in the game. So you have people who are writers and artists who are who are making livings, drawing fan art or writing fan fiction mm-hmm. about this game. Mm-hmm. And so it's like it started with a game, <laughs> but <laughs> there is a whole ecosystem of creatives and professionals and hobbyists and Mm -hmm. people who just like the world of the game and haven't even touched the game itself in years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like games are just so much more than the game. Like each game kind of creates its own culture around itself. And that's just really cool. Like there's no limit to what, uh, they can do. Um, I guess one factor that you know could be kind of critical to the negative stigma is addiction. Mm-hmm. Like, anything can be addicting. Games can definitely be addicting. Yeah. And then like the the stories that get publicized or like get told, like you know the number of people that like pretty much game themselves to death, like mm-hmm. that gets publicized, right? And that's yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, no way. I can't believe that, like, so and so's roommate or whatever. Can you imagine sitting there not doing anything and starving yourself to, you know, like that Mm -hmm. gets a lot, like, those types of stories get a lot of hype because it's just Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, unbelievable. Like a black mirror. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But that's like not most gamers. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. I I mean, I think any. Yeah, pretty much with any hobby, you can find like a hyper sensationalized version. And of course, you know, moderation in all things, right? Like, you know, what you're saying about addiction definitely resonates, especially when you consider that a lot of games are designed to be addicting. Mm -hmm. They want you to pick it up and keep playing it and not put it down, especially when we talk about like mobile games um, Mm -hmm. or games that have um, costs associated with them. Yeah, microtransactions. Um, Microtransactions, right? Mm In-game purchases. Like it can be really, really easy, um, especially if you're someone who's sort of predispositioned to liking that kind of instant gratification um, to just very easily end up spending lots of money without even thinking about it. And it's certainly no uh, mistake that it was designed to entice you in that way. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, I think it brings up a great conversation about, you know, what's the responsibility of a designer, of a developer um, to protect the users that they're also trying to like market and sell to mm-hmm. like, where is your responsibility there? Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I work as a software designer so like it's kind of something that i've definitely been thinking about more and more especially when you see companies like facebook and how Mm. you know it took a lot of people and a lot of failures and decision making to get where they are today and like you can't when you're something's growing at that scale you can't just take your hands and be like oh it's you know it's not up to us um yeah oh it's beyond us it's too big to handle that no like Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have a responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, if you wrote it, you can also rewrite it, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Momo, 
You mentioned to us that uh, Twitch is a place where you've been really engaging with gaming lately. Um, Can you tell us more about about Twitch and and what's been going on there? Yeah, so um, one of my really close friends, Patrick St. Pierre, he's a streamer. And so I didn't even know what Twitch was, right? It's like, I think to most people, if you're not into games, and even if you are into games, Twitch is kind of this mystery, this like other secret Mm. portal and... Mm -hmm. Um, so he introduced me to it and I'm not like, I'll watch people play games sometimes, but it's mostly I'm there to like watch him and it's Mm -hmm. the personality plays a big part. Um, and I think like you learn so much about a person by watching, like how they play, how they rage out or don't, (laughs) strategies. like you definitely learn a Mm -hmm. lot from like seeing them kind of act out and perform in that way. And, um, but yeah, so. Patrick was my intro. Definitely check him out. Yeah. <laughs> His uh, handle is Daydream Boy. Cool. Um, but he's also a super cool, like, inclusive, expansive thinker, and uh, he's super into the storytelling. And so he'll always say, like, don't give me the spoiler. Like, I'm trying to, like, find out this story for myself. And, mm. you know, obviously there's the satisfaction of conquering, but I love the constant speculating of, is it because of this? Is it this world? Is this character going to turn into this? Like, why are we killing these robots, even though they're not that harmful? Like, mm-hmm. What's going on here? And so just seeing him venture into this new world is what really pulls me into. You touched on this a little bit, but are there any unique insights that you feel like you've gotten from watching gamers on Twitch? Right. Yeah. I mean, even just Twitch in itself is such a rabbit hole to discover mm. that, you know, it. it was like it felt like my little secret. Cause like none of my friends mm-hmm. know about it period. Yeah. And or not none, but most don't know about it. Or even if they do know about it, they're not engaged with it. So like, I've been kind of trying to describe it to the people around me and mm-hmm. like the closest description I've kind of pinned it down to is like, it's like the MySpace of 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, people just want to be in your living room. <laughs> ton of ways you can modify the experience there's like these hidden languages like people have their own slangs Mm. it's like its own world and it's you know there's a lot everyone's pretty much anonymous that's in the chat Mm. so that anonymous factor like creates even more mystery of like who am i talking to who's the screen name that keeps popping up who who's the one spamming the chat with emojis or (laughs) um and but again, like you can modify in, in like a fun way too, where like each streamer can create their own series of emojis or gifts that pop up when people subscribe or like, you know, donate or, um, and a ton yeah. of artists are flooding the scene too, which is another reason why I was looking into it of like, as like somebody who's kind of like has a presence that is this like a way that I can like showcase myself and just more my personality you know of course I'd love to show more of my art process like me drawing or something Mm. like that but trying Mm -hmm. to see if like this would be like a sustainable new avenue for me to like create content and like also get paid yeah I feel like I know this might be a little bit of a reach, but I can't help but feel like, um, like when I think about the art of glass making, like it's very much as much about the journey of getting to the final product as it is about that final product. Like what you set out to make, it may turn out the way that you intended, but it may turn into something else. Um, Every time that you approach the glass form and you're working with something that hot and you're you're, like the way that you're shaping and working with it like it's never going to be exactly the same 
every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really have to kind of like move and adapt and have this very experiential relationship with the glass. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I feel like that there's something kind of similar there in the way that we engage with play in terms of video games. Like um, it can be a very unique and experiential thing. And it also takes a lot of time and it, and mm. not many people know about it. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of like interesting parallels there. And, and it's just so cool because glass is such an ancient and like tactile uh, art form. Mm-hmm. And then video games, like especially as I mean today, like it's it's something that's so rooted in, in digital uh, in digital form, especially with streaming. It's like all digital. There's nothing tactile about it in some cases. and yeah. But yet they still share, we, like we as humans still seek out this kind of ineffable thing from these activities um i don't know it's just interesting (laughs) oh yeah totally there's a huge sense of play with glass because yeah you just you're working with a different assistant and you're so like that in itself you're choreography a different dance a different language um yeah there's there's a lot of play in the studio and like that i totally want to show that and and try to find a way to sustainably show that yeah yeah i mean i would love to watch that yeah Um, same that's (laughs) So, Momo, you know, you may not consider yourself to be a traditional quote-unquote gamer, but you very clearly have a deep fascination and appreciation for games um, Mm -hmm. and an attraction to what's happening in the space. Um, What are your kind of, like, you know, you've talked a little bit about how you hope to start interacting more um, with with avenues like Twitch and this sort of gaming community and and, Mm -hmm. and as an artist kind of um, explore that space. Um, What are your kind of your hopes around the future of games and the gaming community? Like how do you hope to see yourself interacting with that? Mm, I think I definitely see even just in my own trends of like who I decide to watch on Twitch, like another person that I love to watch is Dizzy. Rex Dizzy is a personality that I super love to watch. He sometimes games, but it's mostly personality. And he's also cool. a rapper. And and right now he's doing a, a IRL in real life stream in Korea right now. Oh, cool. So just seeing somebody use this platform in such a creative and multifaceted way and creating such a strong community, um, that's really inspiring to me that like to see that potential that, you know, because I don't. I'm not a consistent person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always doing different projects, exploring different things and talking about different things. So it's to be able to see somebody kind of dabble in so many different ways of engaging with um, the community that they've been building for years. Um, yeah, that's, that's really cool. And also, yeah, like just seeing like these two like open-minded thinkers in a space where um, it's mostly white dudes, mm-hmm. mostly you know, super competitive, you know, kind of bro-y scene to see people that are more like soft or explorative or, you know, kind of open to talking about just weird topics or like sex topics or whatever, you know what I mean? Like in in not just like a misogynistic kind of scary way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. I love that too. Um, Representation matters. (laughs) Yeah, This last one is maybe a bit of a big question, but we'd love to get your thoughts on it. Um, But, you know, like, what challenges have you faced trying to get into games? Like, in what ways do you feel Mm -hmm. like gaming or the conversation around games could shift to be more accessible to people like you? Mm -hmm. Um, 
I guess there's just the initial, like, since I'm not a gamer, that me jumping in, like, I feel like I'm already, I would be like a late bloomer. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot to take in, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot to take in. But, I mean, it's not like the user experience is so far out of reach that, like, I'm not going to know, like, I don't have to, like, program anything. It's still Mm -hmm. just, you know, buttons. But um, but then I guess, yeah, being a late bloomer, then putting in the financial investment. But I think like um, like something that I'm vaguely aware of is that like majority of the people buying games or investing in games are like 30 years old. Mm. Right? Like at that point, like you have a career or a job or whatever, you have steady income and something you can throw yourself into that. So I could still see myself falling into that category one day. Um, <laughs> I don't know what game would inspire me. I think maybe that's. Maybe that's the barrier. Like I haven't yeah. seen it and I'm like, yes, like that's for mm. me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is why like I'll just peer over somebody's shoulder. That way I don't have to like invest the 50 hours to see what is this? Where is this going? Who are these people? Who are these characters? And then not be like disappointed later to be like, ah, uh, like this mm-hmm. is kind of kind of cringy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. That resonates a lot. Like I, I feel like um, I can be very picky with with picking deciding what game I'm gonna play just because mm-hmm. I don't know I don't want to get in and fall in love with these characters and then someone mm-hmm. makes a transphobic joke and I have to play yeah. the a game knowing that someone took the time to write the code and the dialogue and program this character to say something transphobic right so you're I, like supporting it by playing <laughs> it and like playing it through and just yeah yeah like, oh there's a team of people that created this game that like are invalidating me okay yeah like cool <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's an investment um mm-hmm. but momo it's been so awesome to hang out with you it's been amazing to pick your brain and just have like a really open conversation about gaming and, and art and the intersections and, and all of it like it's it's been awesome thank you so much for hanging out with us thank you for bringing me <laughs> tell us uh what you're up if there's anything you're up to these days that you want to share or um any projects you want folks to know about, please let us know. And also let us know where we, where people can find you online. Okay. Um, obviously we've been talking a lot about uh, social media, primarily Instagram. So check me out at glassy Momo. Um, if you want to learn more about me, you can also check out my website at momokoshafer.com. If you want to support me and also see exclusive content, like all the video work that I've been talking about, that's on my Patreon at patreon.com slash Momoko Schaefer. Awesome. Momo, thank you again for joining us. It's been just awesome talking to you. Yeah, it was so much fun. Thanks, guys. <laughs> is up for today's session of pixel therapy thank you for tuning in and we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own if you enjoyed this episode we would very much appreciate it if you could rate us and review us on your podcast application of choice it makes a world of difference especially for a little baby podcast like us if you want to reach out to us with a story about a game that changed you you can reach us by email at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com just like nate did And you can stay up to date on all things Pixel Therapy by following us on Instagram and other social media at Pixel Therapy Pod or by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. And if you want more Pixel Therapy, if you for some reason want more of this, uh, you can come (laughs) check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod where you can get monthly bonus episodes for just $2 a month. 
plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our collective shared mouth is, <laughs> we end every episode with a recommended side quest. Um, just think of them as ideas for how you can get involved with um, cool community projects, uh, causes, locally, nationally, um, wherever. This week, we have a really cool uh, program that uh, Momo actually recommended to us. They And Momo is actually helping them raise money for their project. Um, so the team is called Easy Activism. You can find them on Instagram at Easy Activism. And what they're doing is um, they are a collective of activists, um, Dominique, Stephanie and Hannah, um, who are committed to sustaining the Black Lives Matter movement. And the way that they're doing that is by making therapy available um, to BIPOC folks. Um, they write here on their fundraising platform, in Black communities, um, therapy has a high barrier of entry, often due to lack of resources, all while the community is experiencing trauma at a disproportionate rate. Um, BIPOC therapists or BIPOC therapists are frequently being asked to work for free. And we want to give back to both sides of the community, providing opportunity for both the therapists and the people who need care. Um, from new allies, commitment to the movement has started to fade. Long before George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Elijah McClain, there were Sandra Bland, Trayvon Martin, and Michael Brown. At the bare minimum, this project creates the opportunity for Black people to unpack years of the effects of systemic racism. Um, so this fund, essentially, their goal is to raise 50K for one month of free individualized therapy for over 200 Black people. All funds will pay uh, BIPOC therapists who are healing the community while also facing the collective trauma um, that is uh, you know, now seeing um, a spotlight uh, in the U.S., um, but has always been occurring. Um, and these activists have been working tirelessly long before this summer um, put the spotlight uh, yet again on on the um, the violence disproportionate violence uh, committed towards Black folks in the U.S. Um, so you can find if you go to the Instagram account of Easy Activism, you can find a link in their bio to this fundraising platform. You can also look it up yourself. It's on iobyorg I don't know if that's pronounced iob, but it's iobi. It's a fundraising platform, um, and the link is Easy Activism Fundraising Black Mental Health. Um, so perhaps Google um, Easy Activism um, Black Mental Health Fundraising iob, um, or check out their Instagram, find out more, get involved, um, and, and donate and share. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. Uh, we hope you'll go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel Therapy. therapy. I wasn't sure you were going to come with me. <laughs> I'll always come with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you.